Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to talk about something that I think most people haven't noticed going on in the culture, and that is this sort of slowly shifting consensus on pornography. Now, regular listeners of this podcast or uh, people who read my work regularly at The Bridgehead or at LifeSite News or at First Things or anywhere else, actually, will know that pornography is one of the subjects that I address the most. And that's because I truly believe that digital pornography is the number one threat to marriages and families and therefore church communities and communities in general. Now, 60% of American divorce court cases now cite compulsive porn use of one of the partners as one of the key reasons for that breakup. And because so many people are addicted to pornography... Pornography is is very often the sort of silent player going on behind the scenes that's actually impacting so much of what we see going on. I'll give you uh, one random example. If you track the shift in public opinion on same-sex marriage, for example, you'll notice that it tracks very closely uh, to people's exposure to pornography and then the rising tide of pornography addiction. Because what pornography has really done is it's taken an entire society And it's turned our entire society into participants in the sexual revolution. So it's no longer just that people out there in the culture uh, are engaging in promiscuity or or are supportive of alternative lifestyles or are uh, publicly repudiating what the Bible says about healthy sexuality and sexual boundaries. What pornography has done is it's created a situation in which the majority of Christians are consuming content that is not just photographs of people without their clothes on, but is actually people engaging in unnatural sex acts. And that's leaking into the church. And so I I really do believe that pornography is fundamentally poison in the cultural groundwater. I believe that there's a lot of issues we will never fully address until the porn issue is addressed. And I think that we are not doing nearly enough to address pornography. One of the recent interviews we had in the show was with Sam Black of Covenant Eyes on how churches can deal um, more effectively with pornography. We've had interviews on this show with Defend Young Minds. If anybody's interested in how to porn-proof their home and talk to their kids about this in an age-appropriate way, I would recommend that interview. We've talked to Paul Laverne on how pornography rewires the brain, how you should approach the issue of pornography inside a relationship. So we really have focused on that subject because it impacts every aspect of our personal lives, of our church communities, uh, and then, of course, of, of the macro culture. But I thought that it, would, it was important to maybe alert everyone to the fact that on the file of, of pornographic addiction and, and, and porn use in the culture, it, the news isn't all bad. Now, back in 2016, I, I wrote a book called The Culture War, and I had two chapters on pornography in that book. One chapter on pornography in general and the culture, and and a second chapter explaining how pornography was actually creating a rape culture. A rape culture, essentially, because the majority of the population was now watching sexual abuse and degradation uh, for recreation or entertainment, which is the definition of a rape culture. And at the time, my argument was not a particularly popular one. I remember writing a, uh, a, a column on why pornography was rape culture, 
and it was widely disliked by almost everybody who read it on the conservative side of the fence because at the time the phrase rape culture was very much associated with this new uh, attitude on campus in which people could be accused at any time uh, for any reason. But of course, my argument uh, is... And I, th- I think that this argument is held up very, very effectively, uh, that if we recognize that pornography is, in fact, the sub- systematic abuse, degradation, humiliation, especially of women and the mainstream pornography now available everywhere on the front page of every single major porn site is violence against women. And the majority of people are participating in watching or looking at this stuff. Then what we have is, is something really horrifying once we stop to consider it carefully, which most people don't. And I actually had an interesting couple of discussions on on the pornography fueling rape culture thesis. I went on a bunch of different radio programs to talk about it. Um, I had a chance to give a lecture at the University of Ottawa on the same subject. And what ended up happening was a lot of people realized, okay, pornography isn't just my personal sexual sin. I'm participating in something bigger here. I'm participating in something horrifying here. And I, we even had Marxists who ended up agreeing with us, which I suppose a lot of conservatives wouldn't wouldn't take as an endorsement of my argument. But I think that since the publication of the Culture War, the argument that I laid out in uh, my chapter has been proven definitively correct. And now I think that what was once a rather fringe argument is now an argument that's been wholesale adopted by a lot of governments. You see the government of the UK explicitly moving to pass age verification laws and to keep pornography away from young people because pornography is fueling sexual violence, because they're seeing a stark rise in choking, even among prepubescent teens who have been taking uh, most of their cues on sex from pornography. You've got mainstream British comedians uh, making jokes about getting spontaneously choked and statistics coming out from the Atlantic magazine indicating that 24% of adult American women feel fear during intimacy because of porn-inspired choking. Because things have gotten so much worse since the publication of my book in 2016, a lot of people have come around around the thesis that, okay, we're actually watching what pornography does when it's consumed by the majority of population at scale. And what it does is it profoundly twists and deforms healthy sexuality. And it doesn't stop there. It, it doesn't just change somebody's taste to be more aggressive, to be more ugly. It in fact continues to metastasize because when I wrote an entire chapter on pornography fueling rape culture back in 2016, I didn't even touch on on the issue of choking, what you're seeing is that with pornography, new things are happening all the time because porn addicts crave novelty and therefore the porn companies are having to push the envelope further and further and further in order to keep people watching, in order to keep them clicking. Somebody who was watching sort of -of run-of-the-mill sexual violence a couple of years ago, you know, a la Fifty Shades of Grey, is now going to need something a lot more hardcore in order to get where they want to go. And they're doing that. Uh, I think it was Dr. Gail Dines who said a lot of the pornography now featured on the front page of, of, of major sites like Pornhub would be formally illegal under the treaties of the Geneva Convention Against Torture. And there's a some of these descriptions, which I would not advise even reading, and I don't read most of this stuff anymore, but there was a book by uh, Chris Hedges, um, who's a, a longtime Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, and he wrote a book called America, The Farewell Tour a couple of years ago, and he has a chapter on the porn industry. 
And in that in that um, chapter, he just describes a couple of the mainstream videos, and they're just horrifying. Like it genuinely is torture. If we were doing this to, you know, people in Guantanamo Bay, um, there would be a, a justifiable outro, like um um outrage pardon me uproar and yet we're doing this to to our young young women and girls just because a generation of people have been addicted to watching them suffer uh, by a porn industry that's been allowed to get away with what's close to murder but i didn't want to actually spend uh, you know a half an hour discussing how bad pornography has gotten i say all of that um to say that i think the good news on this file is that people are in fact waking up uh, that anti-porn activism has actually been effective, uh, that governments are starting to realize that not only can they do something about this, but they they really should. And so I, I wrote a, an article for First Things earlier this year, just sort of taking a look at the new women's movement and a lot of, uh, of young women coming forward uh, to fight various aspects of the sexual revolution. And one of the interesting uh, um, um, figures... Uh, on the sort of anti-porn activism front is uh, Lila Micklewaite, founder of the Justice Defense Fund and the global hashtag trafficking hub movement. She's been going after pornography in a way that's been tremendously effective. She's got an army of supporters and is taking on Pornhub. Pornhub is owned by MindGeek, a massive company based out of Montreal. It's the world's largest porn site with 3.5 or 33.5, pardon me, Billion visits in 2018, and I believe they were getting a couple of trillion views in the middle of 2020 during the pandemic monthly, double the traffic of Facebook and Google combined. And again, as I mentioned earlier, that features primarily the assault and degradation of women and some of these assaults. I would argue that they're all criminal, but some of them are formally criminal, a fact that was sort of horrifyingly highlighted. Some of you may remember the story when a mother of a 15-year-old girl from South Florida who'd been missing for almost a year, I discovered that her daughter was still alive because pornographic photos and videos of the missing team surfaced on Pornhub. She was forcibly featured in 58 porn videos which were uploaded to lo- online. Now, Micklewaite uh, in 2020 formed the group Trafficking Hub to expose all of these horrors, and it's become a movement. It really has. You see her stuff everywhere. Uh, Pornhub has been targeted uh, by all sorts of mainstream organizations now. 600 organizations are participating in Micklewaite's uh, trafficking hub movement. Uh, over 2.2 million people in 192 countries have signed uh, her petition. And what was really interesting, most of you will probably remember this because it was a really big story and I think it was a cultural moment in the anti-porn wars. Her activism led two-time Pulitzer Prize recipient Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times to do his own investigation. And Christoph, very famous journalist, was infuriated by what he found, and his report was titled, very chillingly, The Children of Pornhub. And in this article, he detailed evidence of child abuse, uh, included interviews with victims, and noted, and here I'll quote directly from his article, the site is infested with rape videos. It monetizes child rapes, revenge pornography, spy cams of women showering, racist and misogynist content, and footage of women being asphyxiated in plastic bags. Most of the children, most aren't of children being assaulted, but too many are. His conclusion was put, I think, very bluntly and effectively. Pornhub is Jeffrey Epstein times a thousand. He ended up tweeting at Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and demanding that Trudeau do something about this. Um, the executives that run MindGeek ended up getting dragged before various parliamentary committees and forced to answer questions, and they sweated like the weasels they were as they faced questions uh, on what they knew about what was on their site. And I've, I've interviewed Mikkel I interviewed her for that profile that I did for First Things, and 
she talks about the number of successes they've had, and here's what she told me. It's been a tough fight, but we have collectively seen some incredible victories. Thousands of media articles have been written exposing Pornhub, which has severely damaged their brand. After a long battle, Visa, MasterCard, and Discover have cut all ties with Pornhub, leaving them with only cryptocurrency as a payment option. Most of their major advertisers and business partners have cut ties with Pornhub, including Comcast, Xfinity, Roku, Grant Thornton, Heinz, Unilever, and countless others. And this was a stunning fall for one of the most powerful porn monopolies on the planet. And uh, I would like to point out that Mikaway's movement isn't nearly finished. She details the horrors that are still going on uh, on that site almost daily. And they recently got kicked off of Meta, which is Facebook. They recently got their Instagram page shut down. They pulled 10 million videos in a desperate attempt to stop these nonstop um, sort of releases of evidence against them on social media. But I, I think Pornhub has been pretty crippled. Now, they have an enormous amount of money, so they haven't gone down yet. But what Micklewaite's doing is actually a derivative of a strategy I heard Dr. Gail Dines lay out in, in an anti-porn conference in Houston a few years back that she called um, the, the Gulliver's Travels strategy. And you might remember in the book Gulliver's Travels uh, that the protagonist wakes up tied down by a million tiny little pieces of rope by the, the, the people of Lilliput, the Lilliputians. And she said, essentially, that's how we're going to have to take on the porn industry is it's all these small victories that eventually immobilizes this industry that's poisoning uh, the youth and poisoning our culture. And the discussion around what's going on on these mainstream porn sites, again, is having a real effect now. And public officials are really moving away from the libertarian position on pornography and recognizing that pornography is profoundly damaging to our society. So just to give you some of the really recent updates on this, and I've been I've been writing on a lot of this stuff uh, at my column here on LifeSite as these stories happen. But when you look at the uh, cumulative effect of all of these stories, I think it's genuinely encouraging, especially on a file that doesn't often produce encouraging news. 16 U.S. states and the Republican Party have formally recognized porn now as a public health crisis. Of course, the por- pornography rewires the brain, and the younger you are when, you're get a- when you get addicted, the more profound that impact is. And so pornography, <clears throat> the choice to consume pornography is a, is a physical decision as well as, as a spiritual and moral one because it actually has an impact on the way your brain functions. The porn industry is now panicking as many states pass age verification laws, which require porn sites to authenticate the age of users prior to allowing them to access this material. So you need something like a credit card. And of course, kids can lie or they can swipe a credit card, but it does make it a lot more difficult for minors to access pornography. Uh, Utah, Alabama, Virginia, Arkansas, Montana, Mississippi, and Louisiana have all passed age verification laws just in the last couple of years and lawmakers have warned the porn industry that they intend to enforce them and this is really revealing because in response porn industry executives have actually taken to begging their users to lobby on their behalf stating in in closed door meetings that age verification kills their traffic Consider that like the porn industry execs say we can't we can't implement age verification because it kills our traffic, which is evidence that they are fully aware of how much of their audience is underage. Like these people make an obscene amount of money. 
Um, but the fact that their traffic might dip, therefore reducing their advertising revenue, um, because kids aren't seeing these horrifying, you know, sexual assaults play out in their platform. Uh, they can't handle that because yeah, that will reduce their traffic, which reduces the money that they're making. But you're already seeing um, the porn industry kind of hold public officials over a barrel on this. So Pornhub has blocked the entire state of Utah, which has got to be the most win-win thing I've ever heard of um, over an age verification law. And they're apparently planning to do this to a couple of other states as well. So a lot of the legislators that are trying to fight the porn industry may just be getting a bigger bang for their buck here because, you know, they implement age verification. And as a result, sites like Pornhub pull out of their state entirely. So it's not just uh, American states either. I already mentioned the UK, but this is actually happening around the world. So Australia is planning to implement nationwide verification for porn sites. The UK already passed it and is working on implementation. France passed age verification in 2020 and is currently, and this is key, exploring ways to crack down on porn sites. Uh, Age verification legislation has, believe it or not, been put forward in Canada, and even Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has mused that internet pornography may be fueling misogyny, which, to my mind, gives you a sense of just how obvious this problem has become. When you've got somebody like Justin Trudeau, who's willing to criticize any aspect of the sexual revolution whatsoever, uh, this problem is now becoming so enormous that not even he can ignore it or explain it away. And all of this, again, has transpired in just the last couple of years. The porn industry and its primary defenders are losing the public argument. I think that's a really important point to emphasize here, because I know that Those of you who follow my work will know that I I spend a lot of time talking about this issue. And yes, the the picture that we're obligated to paint of a culture saturated in pornography is a grim one. And I don't take back a thing that I've said, but I do think it's important to say that the reason that so many of us are putting out podcasts, putting out articles, engaging uh, in discussions at universities, you know, doing debates on radio. I debated a queer studies professor on pornography on public radio uh, here in Canada for an hour uh, live. Um, the reason that we've been having all these discussions is to expose what's actually going on, expose the effects of the porn industry, and we are winning the public argument. And the porn industry is increasingly being targeted by public policymakers as a result. And so it's not just Western countries. Uh, There's a couple of examples that I'd like to bring up. Uh, In 2018, human rights activist, um, I want to get her name right here, Mary Marcel Thakakara of the All Indian Women's Conference wrote an editorial for The Guardian. And I think that most of you who are familiar with the media landscape We'll know that The Guardian is an extremely left-wing publication. And the article was titled, Sexual Violence is the New Normal in India and Pornography is to Blame. Like, an article like this would not have been published just a, like a handful of years ago. So I want to read directly from her report here. This is not, you know, me, socially conservative commentator who's been inveighing against porn now for well over a decade. This is a human rights activist published by The Guardian. Here's what she writes. Boys as young as 10 download pornography from mobile phone shops for as little as 10 rupees. The combination of endless violent porn videos and alcohol appeals to be a lethal trigger for many rapes in India, a country where traditional Hindu, Muslim, Christian, and Sikh society strictly forbids not just sex outside marriage, but any mixing of the sexes in towns and villages. 
Arranged marriages are still the norm across all religions. For oppressed men to be fed a constant diet of porn on their phones is a recipe for disaster. The infamous gang rape of a 23-year-old student in Delhi in 2012 that led the city to be called the rape capital of the world was carried out by six men who had just been watching violent porn while drinking alcohol, another taboo in Orthodox Indian families. Anakshi Ganugli Thrukral, a child rights activist for nearly 30 years, told me society is being sexualized. There is sexual content everywhere in films and music. Rampant, vicious porn is easily available to children. Middle class families may monitor what their kids watch, but uneducated and illiterate people haven't a clue about what their kids see on their phones. The vegetable vendor near my house sits glued to his mobile all day. Two young boys with one wire plugged into a year each sharing a video. I can assure you they're not watching the news. Now, this child's rights activist also demanded that action be taken on porn. And she interestingly called out progressives for the libertinism that prevented government action. She wrote, and I love this, my liberal friends have fought for civil liberties and freedom of expression over the years. As a journalist, I support that. But grassroots activists like me are increasingly sick of liberals fighting for freedom to watch violent, sadistic porn. One tired human rights defender said, it's hard to stomach glib sermons on the right to freedom to use a potential driver of rape when faced with a wounded, bleeding, raped woman or child. I have to say I agree with her. It's time for the courts and the government to look seriously on how we can clamp down on porn in India. Now, again, what they're saying is the same thesis I laid out in my 2016 book, which is that pornography is fueling rape culture. The difference now, though, is you've got secular human rights activists. You've got child's rights activists. You've got public officials who are openly admitting this and seeking to take action on it. And you have left-wing progressive newspapers like The Guardian publishing editorials specifically laying the blame for rape culture at the feet of the porn industry. This is an important development. Uh, and anybody who thinks that, okay, well, you know, it's all well and good to have a couple of human rights activists, you know, penning an editorial in The Guardian, but what good is that going to do? Well, Nepal did just that. In 2018, the Daily Mail reported that Nepal had, quote, implemented a sweeping ban on all forms of pornography in its latest efforts to tackle the country's rape problem, with a statement by Nepal's Ministry for Information and Communication citing, quote, pornography is one of the primary drivers behind the country's rape problem. According to the statement, the Nepalese criminal code now prohibits the, quote, production and dissemination of sexually obscene contents. In order to prevent the access of such content through electric electronic media the need of pulling down such websites inside nepal has become necessary here's a, here's what the here's how the mail reported the story as part of the measures the government of nepal issued an order requiring local internet service providers to block all pornographic sites in the country providers are concerned about the prohibition of pornography because it is difficult to implement new sites with adult content that appear almost every day and the site has been blocked by one provider are not blocked by others However, some providers of internet services in Nepal have already started to block porn sites. According to government figures revealed in the Nepali Times in June, the total number of rape cases has increased fourfold in the past 10 years. In 2016-17, there were 1,667 cases of rape, compared to just over 400 a decade later, a rise of around 300%. Now, <coughs> excuse me. 
the idea that we could just simply ban pornography, our most forms of it, is is obviously still very unpopular. In fact, when I win an argument on pornography, somebody will say, well, what are you saying? We should just ban this? It's unrealistic. But I, I actually don't think necessarily that taking government ag- action against porn is unrealistic because the more public officials and governments and experts and academics recognize the effect that porn has, the more that these solutions become not only viable but obvious. If you consider how much the Overton window has moved on the pernicious effects of the porn industry in just a couple of years, I think we might see the consensus continue to shift in that direction as the social impact of generations of young people weaned on sexual sadism, sadism pardon me, continued to manifest. And so... In Canada, for example, parliamentarians actually possess the legal framework to ban porn if they want to. I wrote an article on this for uh, the interim newspaper, but the criminal code only mentions the term porn in relation to child pornography in section 163.1, but section 163 of the criminal code restricts, quote, obscenity and the fabrication, distribution, or possession for distribution of material um, defined as obscene. Uh, pornography's legality hinges on whether or not it is considered obscene under the law, which is defined in section 1638 as, quote, any publication, a dominant, a dominant characteristic of which is the undue exploitation of sex or of sex in any one or more of the following subjects, namely crime, horror, cruelty, and violence shall be named obscene, end quote. Now, under that definition, most of mainstream pornography is undoubtedly obscene. And in fact, Canada Supreme Court unanimously upheld the restriction of obscenity in the 1992 R.V. Butler decision. Notably, Justice John Sapinka noted that, quote, depictions of degrading and dehumanizing sex do harm to society and in particular adversely affect attitude towards women. That was a prescient statement that's like even more true now. We have mountains of evidence to confirm that that justice got it right. The 2007 uh, parliamentary report, The Evolution of Pornography in Canada, rather obviously observed that the obscenity standard has become today quite liberal, but the 2005 R.V. LeBay Supreme Court decision reaffirmed that the harm-based standard was still in effect and notes that restrictions are appropriate when, quote, the harm or risk our risk of harm of a, uh, is of a degree that is incompatible with the proper functioning of society. In short, pornography could be made illegal in Canada and could be made illegally, I think, quite easily. And I actually think there's a decent chance that based on the evidence we have of what pornography does to harm society and specifically to, uh, poison the sexual groundwater in a way that profoundly hurts the interests of women and the porn addicts, I think that the Supreme Court could potentially uphold a ban on porn and it's not just Canadians that, that could do this. Uh, some American politicians are coming around to this idea as well. Some of you might recognize J.D. Vance as the author of the best-selling memoir, Hillbilly Elegy, but he's also a U.S. Senator from Ohio since 2023. And I interviewed him a couple of times during the campaign, uh, both times for the, the American Conservative magazine. And he recognizes that pornography is a real problem that should be addressed head on. Uh, he told me, and I'll, I'll quote directly from her interview, there have been lots of examples throughout history where we've recognized that a given product or service is harmful and made a decision to protect kids through legislation or regulation. You could do a straightforward ban on pornography for kids under the age of 18. You could give parents more active control over the devices in their kids' hand so that parents could do more, do it more actively. 
We know that some of the biggest tech companies actively fight back when parents try to exercise more control over their children's phones because the companies make more money when children spend more time on their phones. Some of these fixes aren't going to be easy, but it requires the political willpower for us to say enough. This is not magic. The idea that you can't regulate the internet in a way that protects children is just absurd. In the scope of American history, the internet is very new, and the idea that a nine-year-old can watch gangbangs on the internet is very, very new. We have to make the argument that it is objectively bad for kids, bad for parents, and bad for society to have an entire population that grows up exposed to something no generation in American history has been exposed to. I think that J.D. Vance is bang on here. And I think, again, he's echoing the harms-based argument that the Supreme Court of Canada laid out in two consecutive decisions that gives us the legislative framework that we need to ban pornography. Pornography changes people's minds. It creates a hostile atmosphere. Um, It creates a rape culture. Uh, When did it become acceptable, even in liberal societies, to watch people get abused, to watch people subjected to sexual sadism, Um, to allow access by very young people to stuff that metastasizes their brain and destroys their conceptualization of a healthy uh, sexuality. I don't think there's any reason we we need to tolerate this. And I, and I don't think that that's just a socially conservative ar- uh, argument either. I actually think that we could build a very diverse coalition on this issue. And uh, Ross Dusit actually gets it precisely right on this issue. His New York Times column, I think, is probably one of the most consistently interesting columns in the mainstream media landscape anywhere today. And he had an admirably uh, um, terse column titled Let's Ban Porn. And he observed, too, that we could ban porn if we wanted to. Let me quote directly from his column. The belief that it should not be restricted is a mistake. The belief that it cannot be censored is a superstition. Law and jurisprudence changed once and can change again. And while you can find anything somewhere on the internet, making hardcore porn something to be quested after in dark corners would dramatically reduce its pedagogical role, its cultural normalcy, its power over libidos everywhere. That we cannot imagine such censorship as a part of our larger inability to imagine any escape from the online world's immersive power, even as we harbor growing doubts about its influence on our psyches. But in this sense, porn also presents an opportunity to reconsider the tendency to just drift along with the technological immersion, a chance where the moral stakes are sharpened to prove we don't have to accept enslavement to our screens. Well, testify on that. That's exactly how I feel. And I actually think the fact that we're having a public discussion, uh, not just on whether or not porn is bad, because only a couple of years ago, there was a lot of people arguing pornography was healthy, but that we could ban pornography if we wanted to. In Canada, we could ban it. In the United States, we could ban it. I think in the UK, it could be banned. I think we've moved on from this libertarian slash libertine worldview, where we recognize uh, that these things are just part of society that we have to accept. We don't have to accept a generation of young people growing up exposed to violent, hardcore porn. We don't have to accept the hold that this has on the sexual lifestyles of millions upon millions of people. We don't have to accept the continuing metastasization of of people's sexual tastes. We don't have to accept any of this stuff. We have the legal framework available. We have all of the evidence we need. All we need now is the political will. So the bad news on pornography is everything I've been talking about on this show and in my column for years now. The good news is I genuinely think that those of us 
who oppose pornography are winning the debate on this. We are winning the debate in public. We are winning the debate on public policy. And I do think it is not unrealistic. It's not outside the realm of possibility that in the next decade, we actually see the discussion escalate from age verification to maybe we should just ban this garbage entirely. So hopefully that leaves you with a little bit of encouragement for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can head over to LifeSightNews.com, click on the podcast tab to listen to past shows or subscribe to future shows. We really appreciate you joining us and we do hope you'll join us again next week. 